Well, this morning I want to preach to you guys and minister to you guys on storms. Anybody ever gone through a storm this, this morning? Really? As of this morning, has anybody ever gone through a storm? Not this morning. As of this morning, man, not so, a lot of you guys have never gone through a storm. Man, maybe I'm preaching to the wrong people. I've been through some storms in my life, some rough times, some hard times. And the truth is, storms are a reality of life. We're going to go through them. We're all going to face them. And being a Christian does not uh, negate you from the storms of life. But actually, being a Christian is going to expose you to storms that you would have never had to face before. I still believe that we do a disservice to new Christians if we tell them that if if you get saved, your life is going to be perfect from here on out. You're never going to have a problem. You're never going to have an issue. As Christians, have you guys had problems? Have you guys had issues? So when we tell people that, we're, not, we're doing them a disservice. They're basically coming into Christianity under false, precent, false pretenses. They're, they're starting out their Christian walk in a lie. And all we're doing is doing a disservice to them. It's unscriptural because the scripture says that there will be problems. We're going to face tribulations. And then when they find out the truth, we're going to actually have put a bad taste in their mouth, Right? And there's actually a few types of storms that we're going to face as we go through our lives, uh, Christians or not Christians. One, we gotta, we're going to deal with the everyday storms of life. You know, there, there's storms that are going to come and they affect everybody uh, the same. You know, when, when the economic, we had that economic crisis, we had the, the, the little depression we went through, how many know that affected everybody? That was, a, that was a storm of life. That economic shift, the increase in cost of goods, also, we have literal storms, right? When hurricanes come through a city, it doesn't just affect non-Christians and the Christians go unscathed or vice versa. It's one of the, the greatest uh, indications that when we see these, uh, these huge storms happen, that it's not a judgment of God. Because if it was a judgment of God, it wouldn't affect Christians, right? But they affect everybody. You know, some of us are going to have to live through the results of decisions made by other family members and friends. That's a storm that we're going to have to go through, and that may not even have anything to do with us. Or what about uh, uh, water going bad because people are releasing chemicals into the water and our water table is getting bad, and people have to deal with that. Those are the kind of storms that everybody faces. They're not uh, aimed at anybody in particular. They're not for any particular reason. It's just storms of life. And then we also have storms that we bring on ourselves. Probably the most common storm that you're going to face in your life is the one that you bring on to yourself. You have no one to blame but yourself for the stuff that you're going through. You know, if you lose your job because you never show up to work on time, that's a storm you brought on yourself. I'm not saying it's going to be easy living with no job, but you kind of did it to yourself, right? That makes sense? If we have health problems because we don't take care of our body, we don't do the things that we're supposed to do, there's no one to blame but ourselves for those kind of things. Or if you have poor relationships with your spouse or your kids or your friends or your coworkers because you're a big giant jerk, that's kind of your own fault. Stop being a jerk. Those are storms we bring on ourselves. And then there's going to be storms that are brought on by the enemy. There's going to be storms that you face just because you're a Christian. The devil does not want you to live for God. He doesn't want, to give, want you to give your life for God. He would rather it, it be too hard for you so you'd want to turn away. And he'll do everything in his power to make it uncomfortable for you to, to live giving your life fully to Christ. It's actually the primary reason that I, that I wanted to speak this message this morning is, is 
one, we're going to go through all the different types of storms in our life, but right now, as we move into this new milestone in our church, this new phase of our growth, we're going to continue to face storms. The enemy does not want us in this building. The enemy does not want us to be able to reach this community. Even getting to this point, many of us have lived through some storms and stuff has come against us, and we're like, man, why does everything seem to be bombarding me right now? It's because the devil's pushing back at what we're doing here. And the truth is, as we move, out, move forward now, we're going to see even more resistance. The devil does not want you living for him or living for God. He wants you living for him. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. He says, I've told you these things so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. This morning, church, I want you to not be ignorant of what's going to go on. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready so that we can keep fighting the good fight of faith and not be pushed back into a corner where we're not effective. Amen? We're not to be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. The truth is, is that God is asking a lot of each and every one of us. If you've given your life to Christ, He's not just your Savior, but you've called Him your Lord and Savior. He's asking a lot of us. Truth is, I've asked a lot of many of you and of stuff of many of you in this room. We've put in a lot of hours. We've put in a lot of time and resources. And, and, and God's asked a lot. I've asked a lot. And sometimes we have to ask the question, why so much? Why are we giving so much? But it's because we've forgotten what was given to us. You know, the enemy is going to make you ask those same questions too. It's like, why, why are you working so hard? Why are you doing all these things? Don't you want it to be easy? The enemy is going to try to turn you away from God. But you know what? We're going to be ready and not be ignorant of any schemes of the enemy. We're going to move forward and live for God, give it all that we got. Amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and get started. John 16.33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you could possibly might have tribulation. Is that what it says? Anybody else reading this? Is that what it says? It says you will have tribulation. Not might have possibility. I want you to know that if you live in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have problems. But Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is Jesus speaking. He's letting you know that one, you're going to have problems. But two, take heart, take courage. Be strengthened because I have overcome the world. And I am inside of you. Like I said, being a Christian doesn't mean that you're never going to have problems. It only means that we're going to be equipped to effectively deal with whatever comes our way. You know that you can't be victorious if there's nothing to have victory over? You can't be more than a conqueror if there's nothing to conquer. And you can't be an overcomer because being an overcomer, by definition, means that you're coming over something, right? We need to be aware of this, church. We need to understand that that the reason why we are these things is because stuff is going to come up against us. But the great thing is, is that it doesn't have to end there. It doesn't stop right there. That's not the end of the line. Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. If you will put your faith and trust in Jesus, then we're going to make it through no matter what this world throws at us, no matter what the enemy throws at us, no matter what comes against us, Jesus is with us. And that's a good person to have with you, amen? In 1 John 4, 4, it says, little children... 
You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he that is in this world. Jesus Christ, who lives inside of you, if you've given your life to him, is with you. And he is greater than anything that you're going to come against. That doesn't mean that you won't come against stuff. That just means that you have, you have victory inside of you through Jesus. You can overcome whatever comes your way. No matter what storm of life that we are facing, no matter what tribulation, the answer is always the same. It's Jesus. You've got a problem in your life? The answer is Jesus. It doesn't mean you're not going to deal with the problem. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to face it and work your way through it. But it does mean that you will come out the other side. In your tribulations and in your struggles, that's when you're going to grow. Your faith is going to grow, and you're going to be stronger in Him. And the more that we rely and the more that we trust in Jesus, the more it becomes reflex and the more it becomes effective in our life at overcoming what we're coming up against. You know, I know Eddie. Eddie's a baseball coach. And when he trains his kids, why do you practice, Eddie? So they get better, so they do it. You know, when, when you train a kid and you're teaching them how to pitch, or you're teaching them how to bat, you know, the first time it, may look, it might look ugly. But if they keep at it, they'll get through it. But eventually it becomes second nature. Eventually, no matter what happens, when the ball's coming at them, it doesn't matter how, they're going to be able to, to hit the ball, make contact every time. They're going to be able to throw effectively where they're, they're wanting to put it when they practice it, when they do these things. And faith is like that for us. Faith is like a muscle. When you work it out, it gets stronger, it gets bigger, But if you don't ever have to exercise faith, then it never grows. It never gets strong. It doesn't become reflex. If we always run away from our problems instead of facing them with Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you to face them on your own. You're going to get run over like a Mack truck if you try to face this stuff on your own. But with Jesus, you can overcome. Amen? Sometimes, like I said, we bring problems on ourselves. And we're going to take a look at the story of Jonah because... He deals with one huge storm that he brought on himself. Jonah 1, 1 through 5 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled up the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down, and was fast asleep. Jonah is about to face a literal storm. Because he was not walking in the will of God. He decided to ignore what God asked him to do. He faced opposition. He faced thunder. He faced lightning because God said, you know what? You need to go to Nineveh and preach. You need to tell them to repent. And instead, he he turned tail and jumped on a ship and tried to run and hide from God, to run and hide from his responsibility. This was a storm that he brought on himself. If he had obeyed God's voice, then he would have never faced this storm. If he would have just went to to Nineveh like he was supposed to, he wouldn't have faced the storm. You know, the storms that we're going to face, that if we would have just done things differently, we wouldn't have to deal with them. And then not only that, but when it comes to Jonah, it says that when the, the storm was threatening to break them up, it says that 
he had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Not only was he running from his problems, but he was just trying to ignore them as well. If if I just close my eyes and go asleep, it'll it'll go away. You know, that's, that's not the way to deal with your problems. When you have a problem, when you have a storm coming against you in your life, what you don't want to do is turn your back on it and just hope that it'll go away. And then the first question that, I, that, that comes to my mind, and probably many of you, is, wait a minute, does this mean if I don't listen to God, he's going to send a storm my way? He's going to, you know, hurl lightning bolts at me? I don't believe that's true today. I believe that we live in a different revelation than Jonah had. We have Jesus. You know, but in the Old Testament, when people were sinning, when they were going against God, God dealt with it. But I want you to know that this morning that our sin, our disobedience, all of those things are already dealt with in Jesus Christ. Christ paid the price for all those things. God is not going to to smack you across the knees for something that's already been paid for by Jesus. Amen? The judgment for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. We've already discussed this. But if they've already been paid in Jesus, we'll never have to pay them again on our own. But when we do ignore God's leadership in our lives, when we ignore His voice, when we ignore His commands, we are inviting storms into our lives. Because we effectively limit the ability for for God to move in our lives. We limit His ability to bless us, to work in our lives, because we're not walking in His will. We're not exercising faith. And storms will come your way. And we also have to understand as believers that there is a difference between punishment and consequences if a man is to murder somebody and he gets convicted they're going to put him in jail chances are he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison right the consequence for his action for murder was prison how many know that that same man could be touched by a prison ministry and give his life to christ and be forgiven for that murder he can be forgiven god there's not a sin that's too big that god can't forgive that the price hasn't been paid for but how many of you know that, that he can't go to, in front of the judge and say, hey, I gave my life to Christ, I'm forgiven. Can you open the door so I can head out? doesn't work that way, right? Because there's the consequence for his action. Now, is God punishing him by keeping him in prison? No, that's society punishing him. That's the consequence of his action. There's a difference between consequence and punishment. And as Christians, we need to remember that. That, that as we're going through stuff, it's... It's just a lot of times just consequences for our actions as we bring stuff on our own. It's not because God's punishing us. It's because we just got to deal with the mess that we made. Amen? There's an old prophet that you can read about it in 1 Kings 13. And it says he was, he was basically disobedient to the word of God. And basically what happened is God told him to pack up and head somewhere. Don't stop, don't eat, don't do anything. And he gets waylaid by this other old prophet of God, and, and the, the, this old prophet lies to the, to the one we're talking about and says, oh no, God told me to go ahead and stay and eat. So the prophet does. He stays, he eats, stays the night, gets up the next morning, and heads out to where he was going. And lo and behold, on the road is a lion, and the lion kills him and eats him because he didn't obey the word of, word of God. And I read that story, I'm like, man, that is harsh. Like, there's been so many times that I've disobeyed God. What if I'd have got to eat, gotten eaten? But then I came to realize that what happened to him wasn't a punishment by God, but it was a consequence of his actions. How many know that if he would have been walking on that road the day before, the lion wouldn't have been there? 
If you would have been obedient to God, he wouldn't have faced the consequence of being eaten because he would have been in a different place at a different time. He may have been in his destination already where there was no lion in the road. I look at my life as well. There was times in my life when it was falling apart. You know, my, as I've told many of you before, I've heard my testimony, the, the shortened version is, is my wife almost let me. I filed for bankruptcy. I was in a terrible job, and I was having a rough time. Was God punishing me? And this was at a time I wasn't walking with God. Was God punishing me because I wasn't walking with him? No. I did it to myself. How many know that if you work 60 hours a week and you're never at home with your wife and, and, and all you're doing is working and sleeping, that your relationship's going to suffer a little bit? Did God do that? No, I did. If you're stupid with money and you spend it on all kinds of frivolous things instead of taking care of your bills and you end up having to file bankruptcy, was that God's fault? No, that was my fault. There are storms that we're going to bring upon ourselves. So what shall we do then? When we bring a storm upon ourselves, what do we do? In Jonah 1, 9 through 17, it says, And he said to him, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What? Oh man, I lost my place. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? It's actually, not only is it not very dark, it's even worse at an angle. (laughs) And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into it. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Verse 12. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. At least he could admit it was because of him. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against him. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So Jonah, Jonah finally fesses up. He spills the beans and says, you know what? This is my fault. This storm is my doing. And if you, wanna, if you want to not face this storm, you need to throw me overboard. You need to, to get rid of me. You know, Because if I'm with you, you're going to face what's coming. And one thing that I want to point out briefly, and, and we'll talk about a little bit more in detail later, is that the men on this boat, they're dealing with a storm. They're dealing with a storm in the sea that's threatening to break up their ship. And it had nothing to do with them. They didn't do anything to deserve it. They didn't do anything to bring it on themselves. Sometimes we face storms just because of the people that that we're around, that we're with. But you know the amazing thing? Is that this storm that they shouldn't have been facing because it had nothing to do with them, God still used it to do amazing things in their lives. At the end of this storm, it says that the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. At the end of the storm, they actually turned their lives over to God. They begin to fear the Lord. When you see the word fear in the Old Testament, it's the same as saying that they were in awe of the Lord, that they understood His power and recognized His power. In the greatest of storms that we face, and no matter for what reason that we face them, 
they cause an amazing amount of growth for us, and God will turn them around to work for good in our lives. These men went from not serving God to serving God, all because of this storm, and they didn't even bring it on themselves. So as we look forward to this story, Jonah stops running. And I don't know if he was throwing in the towel like, like, all right, forget it, I'm done with this. If I jump overboard, I'm just going to die and be done with this. I still don't have to go to Nineveh. Or if he just recognized that God had a plan for him and, and he needed to save these people and, and God would make a way. You know, I think it's the latter. I think he understood what was going to happen. I don't think that if he was thrown overboard, he was going to die because he says that, that I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He understood that God made the sea. Even being thrown into the sea, God can make a way for him. Jumping into the sea was not him, him giving up, but rather it was him surrendering to God. So Jonah makes a decision to turn back towards God. He makes a decision to stop running. And we know the rest of the story, right? He spit up on the shore outside of Nineveh and uh, spent the three days in the belly of a whale. And he becomes probably the most successful prophet in the Old Testament, much to his dismay. I mean, the entire city of Nineveh, which wasn't a, a Jewish city, by the way, it was a Gentile city, which is why he really didn't want to go there. He didn't want to preach to the Gentiles. And he goes there and he preaches anyway. The whole city gets saved and he gets cranky about it and goes and decides to sit under a tree till he dies. But the truth is, is he finally surrendered his his life to the will of God, and he came out the other side. If we will trust in God, if we will hear his voice and listen, then we will make it out the other side. Now, it means that sometimes you're going to have a rough go at it. Jonah did, even after, even after he, he turned back to God. How many know he still spent three days in a dark, musty, smelly, vomit-filled orifice of a whale? I can't imagine that was a good three-day trip. But he made it. He got through the other side. It was tough, but he made it. I want you to know that if you'll trust God, even if it's hard, even if it's tough, you will make it out the other side. And oftentimes, like Jonah, you'll have incredible success coming out the other side. But it doesn't mean it's going to be a fun ride. Amen? Sometimes we're going to face the everyday storms of life. Luke 8, 22-25 says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and this is Jesus that got into the boat, and he says, And he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey them. You know, sometimes, like I said, we're going to face storms that are just everyday storms. This storm that came out here, this is the Sea of Galilee that they're, that they're going across, was your average everyday storm. There was, uh, it was common for there to be fierce, strong storms that just came out of nowhere on the Sea of Galilee. This wasn't uh, an uncommon occurrence. happened all the time. So this wasn't a storm sent specifically for Jesus and his disciples. It was just a storm that happened that day. They happened to be on the boat, therefore they were in the storm. Those are the storms that they will face in our, our everyday life, that everybody faces the same. It's not because you're you or anybody's against you. We just go through them. 
So they're, they're traveling across the sea of Galilee, and the storm comes. And there's a couple things that I want you to know. One, when we, when we hear what Jesus says, he's like, where is your faith? And he tells them to calm down. Our first instinct might to think that maybe it wasn't that bad of a storm. But I want you to know that these disciples, a lot of them used to be fishermen. They, they worked out on these seas. They knew, they knew the difference between a minor storm and one that was, had the, the, the possibility of capsizing the boat. So I don't think this was a minor storm. I think this was a major storm. There was some serious stuff going on. And then we have Jesus down in the boat sleeping. You know, it's interesting. In both of these storms, we have somebody in the bottom of the boat sleeping. Jonah's down there because he's trying to hide from his problems. But Jesus is down there because he trusts God. He trusts that God has a plan for his life. And it doesn't matter how bad the storm is going to get. God's going to get him through it. His faith is so great that he doesn't even have time to deal with it. He just wants to sleep. It's going to be okay. It's going to work out. I'm going to trust God. So the disciples decide to wake up Jesus. And he gets up. He rebukes the storm. It quiets down. And you know what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't get up and go, Oh my goodness, this is terrible. And he rebukes the storm and, and pats the guys and says, Thank you so much for waking me up. I don't know what would have happened if you, you wouldn't have woke me up. But he doesn't. He gets up and rebukes the storm and then he rebukes his disciples. Where is your faith? Why don't you deal with this on your own? You know, they've seen Jesus perform all kinds of miracles at this point. He's healed people. He's risen people from the dead at this point. He has forgiven sins at this point. Soon, Peter's going to confess Jesus as the Christ. They know who he is, and they know that he's in the boat with them. Yet they're still afraid. Like God would let his son perish in this boat when it wasn't his time. Second, any one of them could have rebuked the storm. It's actually in the, the next chapter we see the sons of thunder, James and John, asking if they should call down fire from heaven to destroy a city who want nothing to do with Jesus. They understood that they had a little bit of control. With a little bit of faith, they could make stuff happen. So it's not like these guys didn't recognize that they could express faith in their life. Later, uh, quite a few chapters later, Jesus tells a story about, you know, with faith you can move mountains. So we understand that they could express their own faith. They could calm their own storms. You see, when we're facing storms, the greatest course of action is not to begin crying out to our God and telling Him about our storms, about our problems. But the greatest course of action is to start telling your storms, start telling your problems about your God begin to stand on the victory that is yours in Christ. Stand on that faith. Rebuke the problems in your life. Stand against them. It's not wishful thinking. It's what the Bible tells us to do. You see, the answer to both of these types of storm is the same. Jesus, turn, place your faith, place your trust in God, and he will get you through the other side. Amen? Now we're going to look at one more storm in the Bible. This is we're going to look at uh, uh, when, when Paul gets shipwrecked. 
In Acts 27, 9 through 12, it says, Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot than to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. You know, Paul's been shipwrecked twice already at this point. He's seen a few shipwrecks. He's seen a few storms. In his perception here, he says, Sir, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. It's not really clear if this is divine perception. More than likely, it's him going, Yeah, I've seen this before. If we go, we're going to wreck. How do you know? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt twice. Been in a few shipwrecks. So he understood what was going on. And he gave advice. And they should have listened. The, the, the centurion and the pilot, they should have listened to Paul. But instead they did their own thing. And I want you to know the same is true for us. How many storms could have been avoided in our own lives if we just listened to the wisdom of godly men and women? Or listened to the wisdom of our parents? Or listen to people that have a word from God for us. You know, my kids have recently told me as they were going through stuff that, that they just had to figure it out on their own. They had, to, they had to live it and do it on their own. And I'm like, no, you don't. When you go to school and they, they give you your first math problem, they don't just toss you a book and say, figure it out. They teach you the right way to do it so you can make your way through with as little trouble as possible. The same is true in our life. With our, when we're teaching our kids and we're like, and you shouldn't do these kind of things. It's just going to make your life harder. It's because we've been there, done that, and we want them to have a better life than we've had and not go through the same problems that we've gone through. How much of our problems could we have avoided if we would have just listened to people that are wiser than us in our lives? Amen? And all too often, we're distracted and misled by the voices of others. Just like the, the, the centurion here was paying attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship instead of Paul, he was distracted by other things. We're swayed by popular opinion all too often as well. We give in because, well, everybody's doing it. When we should be standing up for what we know to be right in our heart. Amen? Or how many of us have been persuaded by comfort? When we want to, we get our mind changed because something seems like it'll be easier. That's, that's the reason why the pilot and the, the ship owner wanted to go, because they didn't want to spend their, their, harbor, their winter there. They wanted to spend their winter in, in Phoenix, the harbor of Crete. They wanted the comfort of the winter there instead of wherever they were in right now. And they were persuaded by comfort instead of listening to Paul. You know, in this story, we're going to, each, we're going to see that the people are dealing with this storm for different reasons. Paul and the workers and the prisoners on the ship, they're going to have to go through it because of the decisions of others. They didn't do anything to deserve the storm that was coming. Matter of fact, Paul was trying to talk them out of going so they wouldn't have had to deal with the storm. The centurion and the pilot and the owner, they made this mess for themselves. They made the decision for themselves. If they would have just listened, they wouldn't have put themselves in this position. And I don't know if this was an attempt by the enemy to hinder Paul from standing before Caesar, because we'll see that that's what God tells him, is you have to stand before Caesar. Or if this was just a regular storm of life. I don't know why the storm came about. 
But nonetheless, they're all going through the storm for different reasons. But we're always going to see that the answer is the same. Put your trust in God and He'll get you through to the other end. In Acts 27, 21-26, it says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all of those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. We must run aground on some island. So this is a pretty rough time for them. They're, the storm is terrible. The weather's terrible. They've been 14 days without food. They're hungry, probably cranky and tired. But Paul tells them to take heart. He says, you know what? Take heart and trust in my God, the one I serve. And the same is true for us as we're going through storms. It's not fun going through storms. There's going to be some tough times that we'll go through. Things are going to be hard. But take heart. Because our God is with us. Take courage. Because our God is with us. Isn't it good news that even if a storm is our own dealing, our own doing, that God is still with us? Even if we bring it on ourselves... God is still with us. Now granted, if you realize you're bringing it on yourself, you ought to stop what you're doing so it doesn't keep coming. But God is still with you. But he says, Paul says, you should have listened to me and not have set sail, but because you did, you know what? We're going to end up losing this ship. The consequence of those decisions is that we're going to lose this ship. But you know what? No one's going to lose their life. We're going to come out the other end. The consequences are real, but that doesn't mean God isn't with them. This ship's going to get destroyed, as we'll see here shortly, but that doesn't mean God wasn't there looking out for them. We're going to find out that that God says we're going to make sure that all of you live. And on our lives, we might have to deal with some things. We might have to, to go through some rough stuff. You might lose your job. You might lose the car. You might lose the house. But God is with you, and He's going to make sure you get out the other end. You're still going to live. Amen? God told Paul that he had to stand before Caesar. So he knew that he would make it. He knew that he had to make it to the other side. And not only that, God said that he was going to save all the crew with them. You know, sometimes we're going to have to deal with problems just because we're in the proximity of somebody else. But sometimes we're going to be blessed because we're in the proximity of somebody else. You know, these, these prisoners, these sailors, they were going to survive because God was going to save Paul. The blessing was going to overflow through Paul into their lives. They were going to make it. And the same is true for us. You know, if we hang out with people that are always sharing messes, their messes with you, get away from them. Move away. If you don't want to be caught up in all of that. And instead, find people whose blessing will overflow into your life. So the question we have to ask is, what is Paul's method of getting through this storm? First, he's going to hear God. God came and spoke to him, and he heard what he had to say. He didn't ignore God. He received what God had for him. Second, he believed God. How I many of you got to believe what God says about you? you got to believe what God says in your life. And next, 
we're going to see that he does what God tells him to do. God says, you know what? You need to run this boat aground on a certain island. And we're going to see that, that he hears God, he believes God, and then he does what God tells him to do. And in the end, they all make it. In Acts 27, 27 through 32, as we continue the story, it says, When the 14, 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes on the ship's boat and let it go. Another thing that we're going to note about the story is the deliverance was not instantaneous for these people. God promised deliverance, but it wasn't instantaneous. They had to go through some stuff. They went 14 days on this boat before God delivered them. And then, as we're going to see, the landing was rough on top of that. Sometimes it's going to take time to get through the storms that you're going through. Just because we don't have instant deliverance, just because the problem isn't fixed right away when we say, okay, I believe you, God, and we kind of open one eye to see if things have changed, that doesn't mean that God's not with you. Sometimes it takes time. Also, when we're in these storms, like these sailors, we can't just resign ourselves to be swept away. You know, these sailors could have said, you know what, we just give up. There's no way we're getting through this. The storm's too bad. We're just giving up. But instead, they, they kept diligent in their jobs. They were checking to see how deep the water was. When they saw that it was lower, they began to drop the anchors to try to keep the ship afloat. They were doing the things that they needed to do in their lives to make sure that things were going well. You know, sometimes one of the, the dangers of, of, of believing in faith in God will get you through things is that if you take that pendulum and let it swing too far to the side and go, oh, it's just faith and faith alone and I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to sit down in this chair and God's going to make everything work out. You know, faith demands action. If you believe something, it's going to change how you live your life. If you believe that God's going to be there for you and save you, that means that you're going to continue living your life, acting out that faith instead of just sitting down and doing any, not doing anything. That means that if, if you're believing God for, for something in your life, you need to take action. If you've lost your job, don't just sit on the couch and eat Cheetos, expecting a, a job to land in your lap because you're trusting God. Get out there. Put in some applications. Talk to people. If you have health problems, do what you can to rectify the situation. You trust God to, to, to heal your body, but then you do the right things. Quit smoking if you've got lung problems. If you have weight problems, start eating better and, and eat right. And I know how hard that is. I'm, I struggle with that all the time. But the truth is, I can't say, God, please heal me from this, and then go out and eat six tubs of ice cream. I'm kind of working against him instead of with him. If you're having problems in your marriage, take steps to strengthen and repair your marriage. And trust God to work through those things to repair your marriage. God works when we work. We're not just supposed to say, oh, I believe God, and sit down and do nothing. It's like the homeless man who prayed every single night. He said, God, please let me win the lottery. And every night he would pray the same thing. God, please let me win the lottery. Please let me win the lottery. And after about a year and a half, God finally spoke to him and he said, all right, all right. 
but you've got to meet me halfway. Buy a lottery ticket. Sometimes we have to do some work in our lives to have God work with us. Amen? When we work forward through our issues, we are living out our faith. It's like James said, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. He said, you know what? I have faith and I can prove it to you. Look how I live my life. But then we have a problem. Some of these guys decided to take matters into their own hands. It says that there were some sailors that were trying to escape from the ship, and they lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. They were pretending like they were doing the right thing, but instead they they dropped a boat in the water because they were going to get away. And Paul says, Paul tells the centurion that if they they get away, if they they leave, then none of us can be saved. So they cut the, the ropes on the boat, the boat drops away. And we see some interesting things happen there. One, I'm like, man, that's kind of harsh. They, they, they cut away their only means of escape. But the thing was, these guys were, were taking their, their life into their own hands. Instead of trusting God, they were going to say, you know what, I know God said that we were going to be saved if we run the ship aground. Paul told us these things. God spoke to him. Instead, they're like, you know what, we're not so sure about that plan. Let us jump on a lifeboat. They had a way out. So I asked myself, why, why would Paul say that? Why, why, is there, why does it matter if some of these guys get away? Well, first, they have to run this ship in the ground, right? God said, run this ship into the ground on a certain island. How many know that if all the sailors jump off the ship, you're not piloting the ship anywhere? If all the, if all the sailors jump off, how are they going to run the ship into the ground? So instead of doing what they, God asked them to do, they would have they failed. And they would have died. Also, these, these sailors are just, just exercising an extreme lack of faith. They didn't believe what God said he was going to do. That's what happens when we take matters into our own hands. It's because we don't trust that God's going to do the work that he said that he was going to do. So we figure we'll take care of it ourselves. It's the reason why, why uh, uh, Abraham had Ishmael. It's because he didn't trust God. And he said, you know what, I'll, I'll take care of it myself. Instead of waiting for God to, 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 for them to receive Isaac, which ultimately ends up happening. So the centurions cut away the lifeboat. And once again, I don't know if that's the wisest thing to do, because we find out that we do run the ship aground into the reef, and they've got to get from there to the land somehow. So I don't know if this was the wisest thing to do, but you know what it did do? It, it eliminated their backup plan. They were all in at this point. It was God or nothing. There was no more boat. There was no more nothing that could save them. If God didn't move and get them to where they were supposed to go, that was it. That's all they had. You know, sometimes we need that in our life. We need to get rid of the backup plans. We need to, to, to stop thinking that, I, I know God's going to do this, but if he doesn't, i got something else lined up. We need to put our faith in God and fully in him. So at this point, though, they're all in. It's, it's God or nothing. Trust God or nothing to get through this storm. So then in Acts 27, 33-35, as we continue on, it says, As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. You know, when we're going through storms, we also need to make sure that we're not neglecting ourselves and our body. 
You know, it's so easy to be going through something so rough that we find out that we're not, we're not exercising, we're not eating right. All these things begin to compound against us. In this case, they're scared. They've been stuck in the water. They're not even eating. It says that they've been going 14 days in suspense. They're afraid. They weren't eating. And Paul's like, you know what, guys? I know it's scary, but God has promised that we're going to make it, so let's take time and take care of ourselves. Eat. Get your strength back. Take care of yourself. And then the next thing he does is he gives thanks to God. Now, I imagine some of the people in this boat were going, this seems like an odd time to be being giving thanks to God. I mean, it doesn't seem like we have anything to give thanks about. We're stuck out here in the water. Storms are coming. It looks like we're going to die. What exactly are you thanking God for? But in 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, we're not supposed to give thanks for all circumstances. That'd just be silly. That'd be stupid. If you're going through some health problems, don't thank God for your health problems. One, he didn't give them to you. And two, who would be thankful for those kind of things? But we give thanks in those circumstances because God has done an amazing work inside of us. God has given you healing. God has given you strength. God has given you victory. And those are the things we give thanks for, trusting God for them in our lives. In Acts 27, 39 through 44, it says, Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea in the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, and then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing, Paul, wishing to save Paul, kept from them, carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Well, the good news is, is they were all brought safely. They trusted God, and God did what he promised. You know, God is not a man that he should lie or, the son of, or, or not a man that he should change his mind or the son of man that he should lie. If God says he's going to do something in your life, you can bet that he's going to do it. God was faithful. They were all brought to the ship alive, just like Paul said, just like God had told Paul. They had got themselves into a mess, but they decided to listen to God and trust him. They ran the ship aground like they were supposed to, it hit some, re- some uh, crashes into the reef, and some of them swam to shore, some of them ride in on planks, but ultimately they're all saved. But let's take a look at and break this down a little bit, what actually happened for them all to be saved. First, in the midst of being saved, how many things got worse? The ship crashes into a reef, and it says that it was, it was being torn apart. It says they ran it aground, it remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the surf. Now, at least before they were in a ship that was floating, but now they're in a ship that's sinking, it's being torn apart by the waves. They're being saved right now, but it's getting worse. Sometimes, just because things seem like they're getting worse doesn't mean that God's not moving in your life. Next, it says some men had to swim to the shore. Sometimes when you're going through a problem, you're going to have the strength to swim through it on your own. You're going to be able to make it on your own. With the, when I say on your own, I mean trusting in God with the strength of God. You try to do anything just on your own, 
Yeah, I wouldn't advise it. I've tried that before. It didn't work out well for me. But there's times that, that God's going to give you the strength to make it. You're going to swim in on your own. But how many of the, some of them, they came in on planks or on pieces of wood. They were clinging to anything that they could grab. You know, sometimes we're going to come through a problem. We might be limping a little bit on the other side. And it's all that we can do to stay afloat. But the truth is, is that God will still see you through to the other side. So the most important thing is that they all made it through. God kept his promise to all of them. It doesn't matter our storm. It doesn't matter if we bring it on ourselves, if the enemy is coming against us. It doesn't matter if it's somebody else's storm. If we'll place our trust in God, we will make it through the other side. Sometimes we might come in swimming strong, or other times we'll come in limping along, just clinging on to whatever we have, but we will make it through the other side. Amen? In Luke fourteen twenty six through 33 it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with ten thousands to meet him who comes against him and with twenty thousand? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, I told you when we started looking at these different storms and what we can do to get through them, that the, the reason I wanted to bring it up today is because I believe that we're doing an amazing thing for God here. But I also understand that the enemy does not want that for our lives. Sometimes we're going to have some tough times. We're going to have storms come against us. We've reached a great milestone in our church, in our life as a church today. We're in this new beautiful location. It's not my house anymore. We have way more room. And it means that with this new tool, we're going to be able to reach more people than we've ever been able to reach before. But it also means the devil's not going to be happy. As we've pressed on towards this day, many of us have already faced storms. And as we continue forward to this day, we're going to see many more storms come our way. And it's just because we're serving Jesus. Like I said, some storms you're only going to face if you're a Christian. Particularly if you're a Christian actually serving God. The devil doesn't want you to become invested in his kingdom. He doesn't want God's kingdom to advance. See, the devil knows that he can't win, but he wants to take as many people with him as he can. In Matthew eleven twelve, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. As we follow God, we're going to suffer violence. The enemy is going to come against us. And we need to understand that. And we've got to stand up and be strong. 
In Ephesians 6.12 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're in a war, church, for the souls of everybody who lives in this community. Our goal as a church is to reach people for Jesus. We want them to know him, to see the treasure that we have. We want to answer the great commission on our lives. But as we do that, we're going to come against some stuff. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. As many of you have already noticed, just getting into this building, many of us put in 10, 12-hour days, multiple of them, to get this place ready. It's not easy. It's not hard. There's, there's a cost associated with serving God. Whether it be storms that come against you or just putting in the time and effort and energy and money that is required. There's a cost to follow Jesus. Jesus said, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether it is enough to, be, to complete it? I want you to know, church, that we need to understand that there is a cost to pay and we need to take account and recognize that things are going to be coming. Things are going to, to be hard. Things are going to be tough. There is a cost. And we need to count it and see that if, if we have what it takes to follow him, are we going to stick with it in the long haul? Or as soon as they get tough, are we going to run away? Or are we going to give up? Are we going to go hide in the bottom of a ship and ignore everything coming our way? There's a cost to serving Jesus unreservedly, and there's a cost to serve in a small church like this. A lot is asked of you to serve in a small church like this. You don't, you don't get to, to come on Sunday and leave and not be noticed. We know everybody here. It's small enough that we know. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. And you're going to become a target for the enemy. But I want you to know that it's worth it. It's worth it. There was a, a, a pastor that was preaching to a bunch of high school kids. And he gave the altar call, and he was surprised at how many kids raised their hand. So instead of finishing with it, he says, you know what? No, I want you guys all to sit back down. I need to explain some things to you. That, that when you accept Christ into your, into your heart as your Savior, it's not just that, but he's your Lord too. He gave his life for you, and you're expected to give your life to him, to serve him, to honor him, to do what he asked you to do. And he says, this isn't, this isn't a flippant decision you make. When you do this, you are giving your life to him. And he began to preach for a little bit longer, trying to explain to them exactly what they were doing. So he says, all right, now that you guys fully understand, I want to give the altar call again. And he, he, he gave the call, and even more kids stood up. You know, knowing what it costs... Our first instinct, especially preaching this, is like, man, what if I scare, scare everybody away? But the truth is, is that I believe everybody in here wants to serve God. They want to honor God. I want you to be aware there is a cost, that there may be storms coming, but it is going to be worth it. Amen? And in Psalms, we'll finish here in Psalms 37, 25 through 28. It says, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. God has promised to never leave us 
or forsake us. In Deuteronomy 31.6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That was God's promise. And David here is testifying to the truth of that promise. He says, I am old, but I was young. I've lived my life. And you know what? The righteous have never been forsaken. It doesn't mean that they don't go through tough stuff. It doesn't mean that they don't go through storms. It doesn't mean that there's not a cost associated with serving God. But you will never be forsaken. God will always get you through to the other side. God is with us no matter what the storm is. He's right there beside us if we'll put our trust and our hope in Him. So this morning as we close, let us resolve to be a people who recognize that, you know what, there are going to be storms in life. But let's also recognize that they're not an indication that God is not with us. It's not an indication that that God is upset with us. But let us be a people who continue to trust Him to get us through any manner of storm. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.